This evening's talk is about mudita, joy, empathetic, sympathetic, or what we might call contagious joy. Some years ago, I attended a week-long retreat up in northern Colorado with a Tibetan Buddhist teacher. And for the last official evening Dharma talk um, of this particular retreat, we had a special guest teacher, a man in his mid or late 70s, who was one of the teachers of the Rinpoche who was teaching this retreat. And we were given some background uh, information about our guest before he came into the room. And one of the things was that this was his first time in the United States. And that he was a very fine artist. We were also told that he had been in a a Chinese prison for 20 years. And that for 15 of those years, he and two other lamas were practicing in retreat. This 15-year prison retreat came about because of the kindness of one of the Chinese doctors at the prison who created the conditions to make it possible for these three men to be in retreat for 15 years. And so our honored guest came into the meditation hall and with his somewhat stiff and bent body, he was given help uh, climbing up into his seat. And he gave a very, very long, <clears throat> very clear, and very traditional Dharma talk, essentially laying out the whole path uh, from the beginning, from its ethical, moral foundations, all the way through, step by step by step, to the Tibetan Dzogchen teachings. This, of course, this talk was from the Tibetan perspective. And it wasn't a particularly scintillating talk. Uh, There wasn't much, if any, at all humor in it. But it was interesting. It was an interesting talk. There was, though, a very particularly scintillating aspect of the evening, and that was our guest himself. As he spoke, there was a lightness, a suppleness, and an incredible delight in his demeanor that was coming through. And at times it seemed as though he was almost kind of bouncing lightly in his seat. Maybe the closest thing I've ever seen to somebody levitating. And just to check myself um, about my possi- the possibility of my projection onto this teacher, uh, after the talk, I asked uh, two uh, good friends <clears throat> who were also attending the retreat. And in that retreat, uh, the container of silence um, wasn't nearly at all as pervasive as it is in this retreat. So I asked my friends if they noticed uh, these same qualities in this guest teacher. And they confirmed that they definitely had noticed these these same qualities. 
After the retreat finished, there was a fundraising auction where calligraphy and paintings that were done by Adi Rinpoche, this guest, they were auctioned off. <clears throat> and the woman who had requested him to do a couple of paintings and some calligraphy for the auction told us that she'd stayed with him while he worked, the whole time that he worked, and she reported that, that the whole while that he was painting, he was laughing with delight. Each of us has experienced the benefits, the fruits of joy. Those remarkably bright attitudes and buoyant, happy feelings that flow through us. We experience a physical and an energetic sense of transformation and balance within our body, within our mind, and in our heart. And we may, in these moments, feel unbound. We may feel healed in moments of joy. So, this evening we'll explore mudita. This feeling of delight, of happiness. Joy for, joy with. Happiness with, happiness for. These buoyant and powerful energies the experience of joy and gladness that we feel in relationship to the happiness and the success of others. The delight, the joy that we might feel in our own heart in relationship to what others have accomplished, in relationship to the good things that have happened to and happened for others. The Buddha spoke about joy when he offered the teachings and the practices of the divine abidings, the immeasurables. Metta, as we've been practicing, upekka, uh, equanimity, karuna, uh, compassion, and mudita, sympathetic, empathetic joy, what I mentioned as I sometimes think of it as contagious joy. And as we've talked about a little bit uh, already, probably most of us have certain ideals that we aspire to in relationship to each of these capacities. Ideals that, of course, may be very worthy. But they basically come from thought. They come from the intellect. They come from the conceptual mind. Our ideals can certainly be an inspiration to us. And that's important. But it's also important not to be attached to an ideal. Not to be attached to how we think it's supposed to be. It's essential in our practice to connect to the reality of our experience. To connect to and know the reality of being, we could say. Meaning simply and clearly being with things as they are in the immediacy of the moment. Each of these qualities, each of these capacities, as we've been exploring, are really very natural responses 
They're natural responses to our experience. A natural response that comes out of the innate purity of being when we really do connect, when we really truly embrace and when we really feel the present moment just as it is. It's the response of the heart, the response of metta, of compassion, of joy, of equanimity, all of them quite naturally coming from an intuitive awareness. That very natural knowing that's rooted in the unfettered clarity of mindfulness in the very present moment. Our capacity to feel joy in relationship to another's happiness, successes, another's beauty or goodness, or to feel joy in relationship to someone's delight or their sense of well-being. And even our capacity to experience joy in the amazing and boundless beauty of this planet that we share with all sentient beings. This is mudita. This is sympathetic, empathetic, contagious joy. There's a sense of connection and affinity, a feeling of shared joy, of harmony, an essential experience of what we might call oneness. That though experienced personally within our own heart, mind, and body is totally impersonal in nature, as are all of the true manifestations of the immeasurables. It's not mine, it's not yours to get or to own. It's not me, not I. The identity that, for instance, I am a joyful person. We could say that mudita is. Mudita happens. Mudita can be as uncomplicated as simply feeling the light, bright, soft energy of delight that's emitted when we're in the company of someone who's feeling happy, someone who's feeling at ease. With mudita, we feel this. We feel this too. We quite naturally uh, mirror it back to the other. Maybe in words, but I think maybe more often just through the quality of energy that we emit. And so in the process, the delight and the happiness is increased. We recognize and appreciate the particular positive significance of something in another's life, or recognize the specific, maybe, magnitude, largeness, the importance of someone's success and happiness to them. And there's often a very natural, inward, and maybe outgoing feeling of gladness, of friendliness. This is the response from the heart of mudita. Empathetic understanding, kind-heartedness, friendliness. This very warm human sense of connection. This is mudita. And the seeds of 
mudita, the seeds of empathetic, sympathetic, contagious joy, and this, as the seeds of all the divine abidings have been planted in each of us many, many times over our lifetime. For instance, every time someone has been happy for you, was delighted for you in some way, happy about something that you did, or just happy that you were alive. Even just the genuine open-hearted response of a smile or a laugh, when we smiled, when we laughed, the times when we may, when we've succeeded in some very simple way and we're given a hug or given a smile or what quite spontaneously happens with babies and young children, people clapped for us. I used to do that for my kids a lot. <laughs> Get very excited. Yay! You know. <laughs> A seed, a seed planted, and maybe sometime a seed planted during this retreat, even in the silence. The shared joy, the happiness, the silent smiles maybe that uh, are subtly passed around when something very delicious is served for lunch. Or the happiness you might feel internally in noticing someone's practice the warmth of open-heartedness or the stillness that they're emanating. The seeds of mudita planted again and again and again. These are the seeds that we cultivate, the seeds that we grow through our practice. It's, It's as if we've been given a transmission, the transmission of mudita. And we quite naturally, intuitively, pass it on. We practice, we cultivate, we grow it. And the heart, the mind, is purified. We cultivate it, we grow it, and we pass it on. It's kind of a seamless circle of transmission throughout our life. So maybe right now just take a moment to experiment with the sense the feeling of joy in a very simple way you might want to just close your eyes for a moment the feeling I am here the emphasis isn't on the sense of I or am but here, just here. Joy moves us into presence, the immediacy of presence. Joy dismantles the pattern of grasping at experience to validate presence, to validate a sense of who we are. We're free to really pour our energies into the activity of life itself, 
with the joy of presence, without any need to compare, no need to compete, which actually takes an incredible amount of energy to engage in, competing and comparing. So now just take another moment to recall, reflect, maybe with someone right here or someone in your life outside of retreat, recalling, reflecting a time when you've been able to really freely, open-heartedly rejoice in, just purely rejoice in with someone's success, someone's happiness. A story. In the late 1970s, I had the uh, great privilege of spending some time with a woman named Dora Kuntz. At that time, Dora was in her late 80s, and she was the national president of the Theosophical Society. Dora was Austrian, and she had quite an unusual upbringing in Indonesia. At a very young age, Dora was taught meditation. And she told us that her parents didn't mind if she was out playing and missed a meal now and then. But if she was outside somewhere playing and missed her meditation period, that wasn't okay with her parents. (laughs) Fortunately, uh, Dora didn't rebel against this. (laughs) And she grew up into a very rare being. And when I met her in her late 80s, still very much a practitioner. She was a person of very deep wisdom and a teacher of mudita by simply being herself. And it was actually one of the things that I remember most clearly about her, her lightness and her joy. Often when she would be teaching, something she was about to say, or maybe that she just said, or some internal experience that hadn't been or wasn't going to be shared would strike her as really funny. And she would just burst out in laughter. And sometimes she'd even slap her leg a few times in laughing, (laughs) often continuing to laugh for quite a while. And we might not necessarily know what in the world she was laughing about. Or what she had said wasn't particularly funny to any of us. (laughs) But it was her delight. It was her delight that delighted us. And so we laughed with her many, many times. Simply in sympathetic, contagious joy. And I always think of Dora uh, as having planted many, many seeds of joy in everybody who she connected with. 
And it said that mudita is the most difficult of all the immeasurables to cultivate. And when I first found this out, when I first heard this, I was quite surprised. But as I checked in more closely to my own experience, I found that the feeling of a pure, untainted joy in others' success, another's happiness, another's beauty, well-being, can be quite difficult at times. There can often be the taste of the comparing mind with the critical flavors of maybe judgment or envy, competition, jealousy, maybe a flavor of resentment or debasement or arrogance, or even sometimes a taste of a kind of boredom in relationship to another's happiness, another's success. If we slip into and get stuck in believing in and identifying with these old conditioned habits of the comparing mind, we perpetuate and continue to bind ourselves to the very painful delusion of a separate self. We continue to suffer in the duality of this what we could call existential loneliness, this most painful delusion that the Buddha called the conceit of self. Mudita practice can actually bring to the surface and bring into question much of what's been trained into us, been conditioned into us. Beliefs, for instance, that we hold about ourselves, beliefs that we hold onto about how it's supposed to be, and the reactive habit patterns that manifest out of these often very tightly held beliefs. The practice of cultivating joy for, joy with, can bring, begin to wake us up to seeing that the process of the comparing mind is very difficult, is very painful. This learned feeling, maybe, of being deficient or being arrogant, the Buddha called both of these the conceit of self, the feeling of deficiency or arrogance, the feeling of being inadequate, the feeling of being the best or better, we live with a constant and underlying, or maybe not so underlying, feeling of uncertainty when we live with those aspects, those comparing minds. It's quite tense, very stressful. It's the conceit of self that usurps the power, usurps the vitality of presence. It usurps us from being fully present, keeps us from being fully present. It's the conceit of self that blocks the joy of simply being present with whatever is. We set ourselves apart 
We separate ourselves with this conceit. And it's an endlessly unsatisfying, painful process. A major source of suffering in our human realm. Until we're liberated, until we're awakened, tis the self by which we suffer, said the Buddha. <laughs> tis the self by which we suffer. And this is from a Zen master Dogen. To study the way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by all things. To be enlightened by all things is to remove the barriers between self and others. Because of this deeply rooted habit of conceit, which binds us, which keeps us from awakening to the natural response of sympathetic, empathetic joy, the Buddha instructs us to recognize, to acknowledge, and to rejoice in ourselves. That might sound like a contradiction. <laughs> we can reflect on the ways that we've been of service to and cared for others, not in a conceited way, but a real way. Reflecting on how we've helped others, Reflect on the choices we've made that have been absolutely appropriate and wise at any given point along the way. We can reflect and rejoice in the times that our heart, our mind has been really present, really clearly present, connected. We can reflect and rejoice in the times when we've really truly emanated loving kindness, compassion, or joy in relationship to others. And of course the possibility of rejoicing in the fact that we've had the great good fortune to meet and connect with the teachings and the practices of the Buddha and that we're here practicing. What an incredible joy. I think for Many people, all too often, our idea of what it means to be really honest with ourselves, about ourselves, is primarily perceived as admitting all of our weaknesses, admitting our faults, admitting all the unskillful, all the bad things we've done. Actually, we could call this another facet of conceit, the conceit of self identifying and dwelling in this negative idea of who we think we are, of ourself. This negative image of who we are is actually how guilt, how sorrow, how anguish is nurtured. So I think it's quite important to take the Buddha's instruction to heart. Rejoicing in ourselves it's not a call for arrogance, it's not a call for self-centeredness, but just about the very simple, honest recognition and acknowledgement of our goodness, our success, 
our healthy human beingness. Very important. In cultivating mudita, it's essential to begin to rejoice in ourselves. As a means of generating the respect, the love, the confidence, the joy, and a sense of well-being that's essential and natural to the awakening mind, the awakening heart. As we proceed with the cultivation of joy, just as with the cultivation of metta, our particular conditioned reactive habit patterns come into awareness. For instance, maybe the critical patterns of the comparing mind show up. We don't indulge or try to suppress or criticize our experience, but let it be as it is, in the light of our intuitive awareness that's rooted in mindfulness. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, it's also important that we not proceed with attachment to an ideal of mudita. With an attachment of how we think we should be. But we proceed with honesty and humility. And a willingness grounded in unconditional friendship, metta, for ourselves even as we accept the arising of various reactive states of mind, reactive patterns that are bound to show up if we're not a Buddha. (laughs) The purification of the heart occurs, not by forcing, but through this attitude of acceptance and mindful presence. And at some point, there's a real shift in the relationship to the experience of inadequacy or the painful experience of thinking we're better than. Eventually, our self-identification, what we regard as me, as mine, as I, is seen through. And it breaks up. The beliefs that we so tightly held on to about ourselves are experienced and known as ephemeral. Just insubstantial habit patterns, not solid truths. The anguish of the comparing mind at that point is no longer being attached to, believed in, identified with. And it happens slowly. It may happen, and then the old habits come back, and then we keep going, and it happens again. Keep going, it happens again, the old habits come back. But they're constantly being weakened, being let go of, little by little. There's a release from the conditioning that I know very well that some of you have experienced at times. There's an opening. Life opens up. Everything opens up. 
there's a sense of freedom in those moments. We're really present in our life. And this is a great, great joy. As we're free in our own being, the freedom to take joy and celebrate, to rejoice in the happiness and the success of others is much more readily available to us. The natural responding purity of sympathetic, empathetic, contagious joy blossoms. And it flourishes then as the real thing. And as I say, it happens. We've all experienced it. It happens. And then the old habits come back. And then it happens. But recognizing that is a big part of the process. Just as metta and aversion can't coexist, jealousy and envy and joy can't coexist. And another story. Uh, Many years ago when I was uh, sitting a three-month retreat at the Meditation Center in Massachusetts, um, about five weeks into the retreat, I began to experience a kind of excruciating loneliness. And my first reaction to this experience of loneliness was a strong desire for some attention. I wanted some recognition. I wanted some acknowledgement. I wanted something from outside myself to assuage my loneliness. I wanted a note on the board for me. I looked at the board every day during those times. It seemed like everybody was getting notes except me. So during this period, on my way outside uh, to do some walking meditation one afternoon, I passed the room of a very dear friend who was also sitting this retreat. This was up on the second floor of one of the buildings at the meditation center. And as I passed her room, I noticed that there was a beautiful bunch of fresh flowers in a vase sitting in front of her closed door. Flowers obviously left there by someone signifying a very deep caring. (laughs) Well, this was a dear friend, remember, but as I passed the door, rageful jealousy, envy, and even, I could say honestly, a kind of hatred, taste, a little taste of hatred, kind of erupted in me. And I felt really awful, actually. It's very painful. It felt pretty bad. But I went on outside, and upon reaching the grass and the trees outside, I decided to really face my painful feelings, which in those moments led me to do some metta and mudita practice while I was walking. So I silently repeated, started repeating phrases and directing the energy to my friend, who was up in her room, I thought. May you be happy and peaceful. May your joy and delight be full and increase. But very shortly I felt myself kind of doing stomping meditation instead of walking meditation. (laughs) And the energy of the phrases were very heavy and sharp and hard in rhythm with my stomping. And there was a feeling inside of burning instead of this light of love and joy that I felt should have been filling my body and my heart and my mind. 
and then flowing out up towards my friend. Suddenly, in the midst of all that anguish, an intuitive knowing arose. In the immediacy of that moment, that very, those very painful moments, I was the one that was suffering. And I recognized that. And the direction of the phrases turned around towards myself. May I be safe and protected from inner and outer danger and harm. May I be peaceful and happy. May I take care of myself wisefully, wisely, joyfully. May I be liberated. After about 40 or 45 minutes of practicing this way, feelings of ease, feelings of openness began to arise. And so I decided to go back up the stairs and into my room to sit. And just as I came through the outside door, uh, up the stairs and through the door, into the hallway, my friend's room was right next to the, to the doorway, into the hall, um, she opened her door. And she didn't notice me, but she saw the flowers. And this exquisite smile just lit up her face when she saw the flowers. And unnoticed, I, I stood nearby in the doorway watching. And I started smiling, and tears, kind of smiling tears, came out of my eyes, and accompanied by these feelings of great love and a great deep joy for my friend and her delight in the flowers that some very kind-hearted person had left for her. So it works. (laughs) As with all of the immeasurables, we practice with the seeds that were planted long ago. As we sow new seeds and cultivate the seeds that are already there. A piece of the process along the way is that we get the opportunity to see what's not mudita. But this doesn't stop us from continuing on, even though it's not so easy sometimes. Some of the energies, the difficult weeds, we could say, that show up in our garden that aren't mudita are quite deeply rooted. And so we have the opportunity to see what are called the far enemies or the opposites of mudita, jealousy, the comparing mind, judgment, boredom, envy. Practice offers us the opportunity to see these states quite clearly. And it's in this seeing that the opportunity for transformation occurs as we continue to plant the seeds, seeing and letting go in the process, letting go of grasping onto our conditioned habits of suffering, but seeing them clearly. In relationship to mudita, 
we might begin to see and understand the mind of boredom. It's said that mudita eliminates boredom. Boredom is rooted in aversion, in not liking, not being happy with things as they are. And so thus not paying any attention to things, really separating ourselves from our experiences in the moment with the mind of boredom, with the mind of aversion, wanting something else. As we open to our experiences just as they are, the little things in our life, the little things in our practice, and we really open to those things and we really take an interest an open-hearted interest. We're receptive. We're interested in what's going on. Tiny things, whatever it is. We experience delight in many, many ways. In many small things that make up our day, make up an hour, make up just a few moments. That's our possibility. We're no longer bored then. We might just be delighted because we're interested, because we're present. That's enough. Lots of the time, that's enough. So we're no longer bored. We're connected to this moment just as it is. And our practice is alive again. We take, continue cultivating, fertilizing, watering our garden. And the seeds take deeper root. They grow, they blossom, they fruit. Slowly, slowly just as any garden grows. Understanding wisdom comes through our own particular karmic predicaments in very direct experiential ways, as I think you're uh, very well aware of, at least to some degree, at this point. It's a very natural process. It's a very natural part of the process and part of the process, this process of awakening for everybody. As the personal particulars of our karmic predicaments begin to unwind and fall away, the mind, the heart begins to open and, our, and we connect with the universal truths, the universal truth of suffering, the truths of happiness, They're touched more and more deeply, touched with more depth, more spaciousness, as this process of purification unfolds, blossoms. It's important to remember this, in that it helps us to not rigidly lock into our opinions, to not grasp onto our learned, conditioned views with so much tenacity. It's through our own particular karmic predicaments in very direct experiential ways that awakening happens. It's not some imaginary or philosophized or hoped for process. It's very immediate, direct, through our own experience, our own conditioned experiences. As our conditioning unwinds and is purified, Our view widens, 
our view deepens and the amazing boundless scope and depth of the Buddha's understanding and teaching just keep unfolding, becoming clearer and clearer, brighter and brighter, and more and more easily accessible. Mudita energizes us and makes the heart, the mind, light and pliable, open, generous, relaxed. And as these qualities grow and mature, along the way of our practice, we find that they're qualities of being that are very helpful and actually necessary for our practice as a whole. Mudita depends on our capacity to connect directly and open-heartedly, to feel and take delight in things. We really must allow ourselves to feel joy, letting go of the maybe contraction of guilt about feeling happy, recognizing and letting go of the feelings of fear and grasping in the thoughts that maybe if I feel happy, if I feel at ease, if I feel really well, I know it'll be taken away from me somehow. That's an old habit pattern that's of no use. Identification, attachment with the conditioned habit patterns of fear and grasping, these are what defeat happiness. So it's very important to gladden our mind, to gladden our heart. It helps to free us. And then in turn, the moments of freedom gladden our heart, gladden our mind. It's this seamless circle of inner transmission, inner transformation. When I first uh, decided some time ago to give a talk on mudita, I looked for a pure example of it in my own life. And so there are two examples uh, that came up that I'd like to share with you. The first is um, when uh, my grandson, uh, when he was one one years old, when he first walked. And as conditions would have it, um, Uh, He and I were alone together um, the morning that he first walked all the way across the room, totally by himself. Of course, he'd been working up to it for weeks, weeks and weeks. But when it actually happened, he was remarkably delighted in the midst of the experience. He was kind of like Adi Rinpoche. He laughed all the way across the room when he first was able to do this by himself. And I, of course, in turn, experienced feelings of great delight, great happiness in his accomplishment and in his great joy with his accomplishment as it unfolded before my very eyes. And then I also remembered another time when I lived on a farm many years ago. And because we 
experienced so much mudita in this particular experience I'm going to share. We used to love to go down and watch the calves and the kids, the baby goats, just after they were born. Because very soon after birth, they would try and try and try again, undaunted in their struggle, to get up on their four legs. And then when they finally succeeded in finding their legs, they would begin to just joyfully leap and jump and kick all over the barn. And it was such joy to partake of. Mudita. A baby's first walking and the calf and kid finding their legs. Our successes and joys in our practice, for instance. We could call these joys joy as grace. Just the very natural unfolding of things, the way of things. My grandson was certainly not walking for me. And in fact, he wasn't even walking for him. It's just the way of things. At some point, walking happens. Joy as grace. Joy as just this. Joy just as it is. Exploring and recognizing that joy has no self at the center of it. The momentary joy of the pure heart, recognizing and acknowledging that these moments in our experience, recognizing them in our life, in our own experience. One of my greatest joys is actually sharing the Dharma, being able to share the Dharma, having an opportunity to be with you in this way. It's really, a, I could say, a profound part of my own practice to share what the Buddha offered with you. And then to share, in turn, in your joys, in your successes, your feelings of happiness within the practice. A great happiness for me. It's really tremendously joyful. As our practice unfolds, we find that mudita and compassion, we haven't talked a lot about compassion, but a little bit, that they're very closely allied. They're really complementary. When we're lost, maybe, in this seeming endless depth of sorrow or despair, when we're lost in this seeming darkness of it all, suffering of it all. Mudita can actually be a remedy to remind us, oh, oh yes, there's joy too. If we're lost in what can sometimes be a kind of spinning out, 
a kind of giddiness, maybe blindly attached to something, something successful that's happened to us, something we've been given or something that we've gotten and not really present with how things are. There's this kind of giddy, giddy joy. And there's a story, just a quick story to share about a friend, a friend of mine in, the, in relation to this. Um, she was really, really happy about something that happened to her in her life. And she was uh, had going out to meet a friend for lunch that day. And she told me that they were sitting across the table at lunch and she was going on and on and on to her friend uh, about all this great happening in her life. And then at some point, she took a close look at her friend and realized that her friend was really unhappy. But she was so caught up in her own thing and so giddy on it that she didn't notice for a while. When we're caught in the delusion or the denial of that giddy joy or maybe a blind optimism kind of, uh, compassion actually can bring us back to the reality of things. In this case, her friend. So she was able to be present then when she took, became present and saw what was going on. Compassion brings us back to balance. And of course, mudita in turn balances compassion, keeping it from falling into a kind of dark hole, brooding over the enormity, the depth, the ongoingness of suffering in this world. So the union of mudita and karuna, compassion and joy, allows us to see and to really deeply experience the whole of this life. And a story, uh, another story in relationship to this. In the early 80s, when I was living in Nepal for a while, my youngest son, who at that point was 18, uh, came over to visit me for about a month. And he and I, one of the things we did was we went trekking up into the Annapurna base camp, the Annapurna range, on our way up to start this uh, trek. We had lunch in a town called Pokhara, which is a beach town, and it's the gateway to the Annapurna Range. So we were sitting in a restaurant, outdoor, sitting outside in a restaurant, and uh, this was a restaurant that, as many of them do, they're a tour or cater to tourists because many people come from all over the world to go trekking in the Himal. and especially the Annapurna range. So we're sitting there and they play music at this restaurant on loudspeakers. And and, uh, as we're waiting for our lunch, Madonna starts singing quite loudly, It's a Material World. (laughs) There we were in Nepal, sitting at this restaurant, And uh, in front of the restaurant was a a sort of a street, a dirt path street. And Nepal's walking by. And Madonna's blaring, blasting, whatever she does. 
It's a material world. And out right in front of us comes a man on this little dirt street. He's on a cart and he has no legs. He's a leper. And he's pushing himself along on his knuckles because he doesn't have very many fingers left. He's pushing himself along, moving. In the opposite direction comes a calf. And they both stop, meet, and stop right in front of my son and I. And the calf starts licking the man. And the man takes off his shirt and he takes off his cap. And the calf licks his whole head and his whole upper body and his arms. And the man is turning his body as best he can, really giving himself to the calf to be licked. And then the calf finishes. And the man just wraps his arms around the calf gives him a long hug and the calf very patiently stands there. And then they both go on their way, keep going in the directions they were going. Now just to bring some, it's not really a very mystical process that was happening. Cows are holy in India, so being licked by a cow is a very special experience if you believe that cows are holy. The man looked like he hadn't bathed in maybe weeks or months. He was probably, it's very hot there, he was probably quite salty. So the calf was getting a salt lick and the man was getting a bath from a holy cow. It was a very wonderful symbiotic relationship. My son and I, after the, the process finished, we turned around and looked at each other and tears were streaming down both our faces. Tears of joy and tears of compassion. The selflessness that's inherent in our natural human capacities of metta is just a cricket. Well, he's exploring. (laughs) This selfless capacity that's inherent in our natural human capacity of metta, of karuna, mudita. As they grow, as they mature, they all dance together. They all weave and dance together. They add to and support and balance each other helping to keep the clarity and the spaciousness of seeing and experiencing things just as they really, truly are. And just to close the talk, along the way of this Dharma journey, we have infinite opportunities to know the joys in practice and really to take delight in relationship to our own practice and feel mudita for others in their practice. So a few of these possibilities. The joy of a collected, focused mind. The joy of calm. The joy of tranquility. The joy of non-dispersion. 
the joy of a loving, compassionate heart, the joy of metta, the connection in this, the joy of non-separation, the joy of living with a growing and deepening ethical relationship to life, the joy of living harmlessly, the joy of non-guilt, of non-worry, of non-deceit, the joy of interconnectedness, of interbeing, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, the joy of seeing things clearly, truly, just as they are, which really brings the great joy of understanding, the joy of wisdom, the joy of non-delusion, non-confusion, the joy of peace. Experiencing the heart of pure joy for, with, another's happiness, another's success, and most profoundly, the experience in any moment of the great joy of transformation. This is really our possibility. Joy is the ground of our healing. It's really one of the fruits of our practice. The small smile on the face of most of the Buddha statues, the Buddha Rupas, this one has a little smile. It can be a pointer, a reminder, and an inspiration for us for the underlying ground of joy, the inherent joy, in the midst of and along with the deepest compassion and wisdom of the awakened mind the awakened heart. And I'd like to close the talk with some words from the Dhammapada, from the Buddha. This is the piece on joy, happiness. Live happily, free from hostility, even among those who hate. Live joyfully, free from misery and affliction, even among those who are afflicted. Live happily, free from the trouble of busyness, even among those who are busy. Live joyfully, like those who have nothing, feeding on rapture, like the shining ones. Winning gives birth to hostility. Losing, one lies down in pain. The calmed lie down in peace, having set winning and losing aside. There's no fire like lust, no evil like hatred, no pain like disharmony, no happiness like the happiness of peace. Greed, the primary sickness, delusion, the primary pain, knowing this truth just as it is, freedom, the primary joy. Health, great good fortune, contentment, great wealth, trust, great kinship, freedom, the greatest happiness. Look within, taste the nourishment of seclusion, of stillness and calm, freed from fear and attachment, refreshed by the sweet joy 
of the way. How joyful to see the awakened, always happiness in the company of the wise. Endless grief for those who commune with the fool as traveling in company with an enemy. Joyful is communion with the awakened as with a gathering of kin. Follow the awakened, the shining ones, the discerning, the learned, dutiful, loving, integral, and wise. They know how to forbear. Follow them as the moon follows the path of the stars.